despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his holy spirit. So you see the word sanctification in there, and holy, and holiness, all of those there together. We're studying sanctification, and in a moment I'm going to talk a little bit about those words. But I want to look at sanctification this way today, that sanctification is a process. It is a process. The the process of sanctification can be compared to an iceberg, which is almost 90% underwater and just 10% on the top. The sun shines on the iceberg. The exposed part melts moving the lower part upward. In the same way, we usually are aware of only a small part of our own sinfulness and our need to be conformed to Christ. And that's really all that we can deal with at any one point in time. And I understand that because I've lived through it, and that's the way I try to deal with folks. I just want to bring folks into church get them under the sound of the Word of God so that the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God, can bring about that change, that Christ-likeness. But be patient with one another and be patient with yourself. You know, there's a... We're we're messed up. Let's just be honest. We're, We're all kinds of wrong. There's all kinds of problems in my life and in your life, but we're only aware of a little bit at a time. And every family's got problems. Every family has drug problems and kids thinking that uh, maybe they're going to change their gender and all this kind of stuff. And it's getting worse out there. But uh, every, every family has somebody who's an alcoholic or somebody who deals with one thing or another. And in most families, there's a Christian or two in there. And they're trying to be witnesses. They're trying to be salt and light to their family, but... Christians aren't perfect. We've got our problems just like everybody else. But have you heard the statement, be patient with me, God's not finished with me yet? That's what we're talking about in sanctification. And in my life, God has just said, hey, I want to put my finger on this, and I want to talk to you about this. I want to deal with you. And so he would deal with me through preaching and through the Word of God. It's it's when you're in a spiritual atmosphere, a spiritual environment, that God is able to actually deal with you. Therefore, if you get out of church, you're not going to move ahead in this process. You're going to kind of stay right where you are. And if you say, yeah, Lord, I know. I know I need to deal with that. And and you you sure have been convicting me about that. And and, uh, I want to change. I do. I do. But then, uh, Lord, I want to talk about this. I want to move on to something else over here. And the Lord says, "Uh uh-uh. Not till we deal with this. And then when we deal with this, then we'll deal with the next thing. And then some people say, I'm just messed up. I'm a soup sandwich. I'm just, I'm just broken. I'm not going to recover. Uh, I'm not going to get any better. And those people are discouraged. They, they, uh, they use words like damaged goods. I'm just damaged. I'm just, I'm just not going to get it together. And they're just, they're discouraged, and, and the devil likes to discourage people, but don't do that to yourself. Just say, what is God dealing with me right now about? And I'm going to deal with that. And then guess what? As soon as you get rid of your besetting sin, you're going to have another one. And it's a process all throughout your life. So be patient with yourself, be patient with one another, and just give people a chance to just come 
and sit and be a part of the fellowship and just sit and let God do something for them and do something with them. That's the, that's the thing that, that needs to happen. Just bring them in here. Bring them in here. Be a place that's warm and friendly, uh, especially on a cold day like today. A place that's warm and friendly, but I'm not really talking about the temperature. I'm talking about just the attitude, the spirit of the church. I was listening to a preacher, these uh, two or three preachers sit around, they have this podcast, and they bring in different people for guests, and I think there's a lot of people doing that, and a lot of people shouldn't, but there are a few people that really have something to say. And this preacher was saying, you know, I was at, uh, out on vacation with my wife, and, well, we go on vacation, we don't take a vacation from God, you know, we look for a church to go to when we're out. And so he said, uh, it's fun to visit other churches, but it's also kind of revealing of their, their condition and where they are with God, because he's, this guy was saying, this one particular church that I went into, uh, I went there two or three times, he said, nobody ever shook my hand. No one came up to me to say, hey, we're glad you're here. Where are you from? You know, do you, are you a Christian? Do you know the Lord? Nothing, none, none of that. Just, you could just go in there and, and leave and uh, not be noticed. So he said, I, it just made me feel like they didn't want us there. So I won't go back there. But then there's other churches, he said, there are other churches I've gone into, and just before you even make it to the pew, you've had two or three people come up to you, shake your hand, pat you on the shoulder, how you doing, you know, and smile and chit-chat a little bit of getting to know you. And, and that's what we need to do as a church, and we need to bring folks in here and, and make them feel like when you come here, you're welcome so that they keep coming back, and they keep coming back, because that gives the Holy Spirit a chance to do something. And that's what he's doing with you, by the way. And that's what he's doing with me. I'm growing. And so are you. And the Lord is stretching us. You know, uh, a rubber band, you, stretch, you, you get a brand new rubber band, say, uh, like with our water bottles, we like to go fill up our five-gallon water bottles, put a, uh, like a, a sandwich bag over top of it and put a little uh, rubber band on it. And we like the, the blue ones, the little blue ones, they're tight. But uh, those, those bigger ones, those brown ones, you can put them on there, but after a while they get wore out. You do it so many times and they've been stretched and they get wore out and they don't really hold a good seal. With that rubber band, you can stretch it and it'll stretch this far at first. And then you stretch it again, it'll stretch a little bit farther. Stretch it again, it'll stretch a little bit farther. That's what God is doing with us. He's stretching us past the comfort zone. And oftentimes, he'll bring stuff into our life that is painful and stretches us. He'll bring us to a moment of crisis, maybe health-related, maybe relational, maybe financial. And when those things happen, we say, God, take this out of my life. And he says, no, I, I brought you into this because I'm working with you. Because when we suffer, it's cleansing, it's purifying oftentimes. Everything that he does in our life. He uses that, and he uses the Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit applying the Holy Scriptures to your life and to your walk. Sanctification. But just be patient with yourself and be patient with one another. The Greek word hagios, okay, here's something uh, that's a little bit more technical, but it's, I felt like it was important, that's why I put it in there. The Greek word hagios, in its various forms, is translated in your King James Bible as holy, holiness, sanctify, sanctification, sanctified. It's one word in different forms. 
And so what you saw in 1 Thessalonians is you saw Paul talking about how the will of God in verse 3 is your sanctification, hagias. Then he says later on in the chapter, he says, uh, verse 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness, hagias. And he says, verse 8, the Holy Spirit, it's hagias, holy. And, and this word, what it means in its, in its most basic sense, it means to be set apart for God, to set something apart. In the Bible, uh, a building could be set apart for God, a temple. The, the tools that were used to sacrifice the animals on the altar, the tools were sanctified and set apart for God, and, and they were for a holy purpose, not for a profane, common, everyday purpose, but for holy use. The priests were set apart, and they had to live different lives because they were set apart to be God's representatives for all of Israel. Amen. And so there were certain things they could not do. And the Bible uses holiness also in a sense of saying that this is a manner of life that we're supposed to display and to live and to walk in. Now, in the New Testament, there is no holy place on earth. Okay? There's no holy things on earth except this book and this body. Your Bibles that are sitting in your laps and your bodies, they're holy. Nothing else. Nothing else is holy. This building is not holy. In the Bible, churches met in people's houses. So you read about the church which is in his house or the church which is in their house. The church is the people. We are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are holy because we've been set apart for God for a holy purpose, not for profane use, not just for common use like the rest of the people in the world, but for a separate use. And when you start talking about holiness, I know this, that it makes people feel uncomfortable. They say, what exactly are you talking about? You saying I have to cut my hair a certain length, that I have to wear a, a suit and a shirt and tie, or I got to wear a dress and a skirt? Listen, all those things are good things. Man's not supposed to have a long hair. That's a shame. Long hair's for a woman. And uh, brother, I'm going to pick on Brother Colton. He's got a beard. He's more holy than I am. Because in the Bible, the men had beards. In the Bible, it was the Egyptians, the people who were of the world, that shaved everything off, clean-shaven. But it was the holy people, God's chosen people, that had beards. So if you want to know about holiness, see Colton and see Brad. <laughs> you can see them and Travis. And you, I will never be that holy because I can't grow a beard. i got like Indian blood in me or something. We've got Perry back there. He's got one too. And Gary's got a goatee. He's kind of halfway there. He's sort of a... I'm working on Yeah. So it's not about the outward. Although it's good to come to church and to dress up for church. That's good. But it's not about the outward. It's about what's going on in here. Amen. Holiness is, is God doing a work on the inside that makes your life start to look more and more like Jesus Christ. It's basically just growing in grace and growing to be more and more Christ-like throughout the process of your life. People ought to see more of Jesus in you next week than they saw last week. You know what I'm saying? You ought to see, you can look back on your life, I'm not the same person I was two or three years ago. I'm different. I'm more like Christ, and all glory be to God, because He did it. Amen. You know? 
So that's the idea. Now, when we're talking about sanctification, we, we talked last week about justification. So here's a good way to be able to understand how does justification work along with sanctification, okay? A simple outline from the book of Romans will help us to understand the meaning of this, the use of the words holy and sanctified. In Paul's letter to the Romans, you have a really clear, systematic presentation of salvation. That's what that book is. And so in chapters 1 through 3, Paul taught the condemnation of all humanity under the law. Because of God's law, it's a legal thing, a judicial thing, we're guilty. Guilty as charged. That's 1 through 3. So as a sinner, I am condemned by the righteous law of God. Then Romans 4 through 5, that's the justification of the believer by faith. That's what we, we uh, studied last week. The justification of the believer by faith. Romans 4 and 5. As a believer, I am declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, not made righteous. I am declared righteous. We, we talked about that, and I think I pretty much just... Uh, went through every angle, and I, I, I pretty much wrung out that and got all the juice out of it last week. You are declared righteous, not made righteous. That's the justification of the believer by faith, Romans 4 and 5. That is the work of Christ on the cross that did that. That's Christ for us. And then you have the doctrine of sanctification, Romans 6 through 8 talks about the doctrine of sanctification. This makes us righteous. Justification declares us righteous, but it doesn't make us righteous in our life, in our, what you see of my life, what I see of your life. Justification declares us righteous. God says, not guilty. You're free. You're clean slate. Justification. Sanctification, God makes us righteous. This is the work of Christ making us holy. That's Christ in us. Justification was Christ for us. Sanctification is Christ in us. Okay? So as we look at Philippians and chapter 4 and verse number 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Having that in mind, Sanctification should be thought of as being past, present, and future. All three senses or aspects are presented to us in the Bible. Past, present, and future. Okay? Some people, some people are like this. They're like grapes. And you can just throw a grape in your mouth and eat the whole thing in one bite. So when God takes some people, he takes them and saves them, it's like all at once, they're just, all this baggage from the old life is just shed, and they are dramatically changed. Now, everybody has changed to salvation, but some people more than others, they're dramatically changed. And they just go on for God, 100 miles an hour, they just, it's better to burn out than to rust out, you know, and they just keep going for God. Then other people, like the most of us, and like me, we're like onions. God just takes a layer at a time. One layer, stinky layer that makes you cry at a time. That's me. One layer at a time. And it starts with 
instant sanctification. Sanctification is both past, present, and future. The past sense of it is it was instant. The moment that you got saved, you ought to know a day and a time when you trusted Jesus Christ. And if things were kind of unclear, you have a day and a time when you recommitted your life to Christ to make sure that you had it settled. When, when that happened, that moment when you were truly saved, you were sanctified. It, it happened instantaneously. This is sometime in your past. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says this, By the which will we are sanctified, we are sanctified, through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. So Hebrews 10.10 says that we are sanctified through one offering, never to be repeated, of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 with me. Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6. I'm so glad that I am sanctified and set apart for God's use. And it happened the day that I got saved. I'm so glad I'm not the man that I used to be. Because the man that I used to be would end up in the place that I don't want to go. The man that I used to be wouldn't be able to go to heaven. I'm so glad I'm not that man. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Those are people that are not going to heaven. The unrighteous. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. That's sex outside of marriage. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers. That's somebody who's married and they're committing fornication and having sex with somebody else other than their partner. Nor effeminate. That's sodomites, the queers, the lesbians, the effeminate. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. I heard in school that something about kids like to dress up like animals, calling themselves the fluffies, abusing themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. Just fight, 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 fight. Never at peace. Always causing problems for everybody in your life. Nor extortioners. How, how smart people steal. Shall inherit the kingdom of God. You see that? You know what? I'm in that list. And I have a feeling you are too. But look at verse 11. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. Worthy is the Lamb, so thankful for the blood. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. That's me. Amen. I'm washed. Amen. But ye are sanctified. You see that? You're set apart. You are sanctified, Paul said. Now, don't, don't miss what he's saying. Corinth was a wicked place. Man, it was terrible. It was way worse than New York City. Okay? And uh, it would easily rival... What was going on out there in California in any one of those cities you might want to pick out? I mean, probably worse. Nobody, nobody out in California is worshiping, you know, the, the president of the country as a deity. It might seem like they do, but they're not really saying he is God. He's the Lord. So they were guilty of idolatry in Corinth, and they were 
very, very sinful. It was like a byword to say um, you're, you're acting like a Corinthian, to say that you are a vile, wicked sinner. That's to say you're acting like a Corinthian. They Corinthianized the place. That's what they would say back then. But he says, such were some of you in those Corinthians that were in church that got saved. Paul says, you are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. You can say the same thing, too, if you've trusted Jesus Christ upon hearing the gospel. You came under conviction of your sin and repented of it and came to Jesus by faith and asking him to save you. Say, I want to inherit the kingdom of God. I don't want to go to hell. Well, you are sanctified. You are justified. You're set apart for God. Now live for him. Live for him. You know, Paul tells us that as a believer, we're united to Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's how we're set apart. Here's Adam, the federal head of the human race, of the fallen human race. Here's Adam. When you get saved, God takes you out of Adam, baptizes you into Christ, the spiritual baptism, so that you're identified now with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. You're out of Adam, the first Adam, and you're placed into the last Adam, Jesus Christ. You're set apart. You belong to him. But now, he says, live like it and I'm going to help you. That's, that's the message. Live like it, and I'm going to help you. And if your life, if a person makes a profession of faith and their life never changes, there ought to be some change somewhere. Well, I doubt that person's salvation. But listen, it's only between them and the Lord whether or not they're really saved. You say, well, what if I doubt my salvation? Here's the thing. You're not looking. Well, if I, if I just stop doing this and stop doing that and start reading my Bible all the time and praying all the time and going to church all the time, Will that save me? No. What will save you is what we said last week. You put your belief 100% in the atonement, the work of Christ on the cross. That's what saves you. How can I know for sure that I'm justified? Are you believing on Jesus Christ for salvation? If you're trusting him, you're saved. If you want to go to heaven, trust what Christ did on the cross. If you want to go to hell, trust anything else. You see? But now in sanctification, we've been instantaneously sanctified in our past, but we are being progressively sanctified in the present. You are being sanctified. This is the difference between justification and sanctification, as I've said. This is where they're different because justification was instantaneous. It happened at one point in time, and you're fixed in that situation. You're justified. You're in Christ. But sanctification goes on to be a process, and it's often a crisis with a view to a changed life. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Side note, that's what pastors are supposed to be doing most of the time is teaching. Not everybody who can preach and pastor. Just because they're a good pa preacher does not mean that you've heard preach, but he's got a gift for pastoring, and you need both, preaching and pastoring. Why? Pastoring is a man who will say, hey, I think we need to sit down and talk about something that's going on in your life. That's what a pastor does. It's like a doctor. You go see the doctor, and you say, doc, what's wrong with me? And you don't want him to fool around and tell you jokes and 
cut it up, you know, in the doc's office. You want to know, what is your professional medical opinion? Well, you ought to have the same way of looking at a pastor. He's here to help me. He's here to help me. And I don't want him just to be my buddy and slap me on the back and tell me how wonderful I am. That's nice too, but I want him to tell me, is there something that's keeping me from becoming more Christ-like? So some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see what pastors are there for? We're there to teach and to bring you along in perfecting you. God's standard is perfect. It's Jesus Christ. So it's very high. And, and he moves you along, the pastor does, in perfecting the saints. Saints are saved people on earth in churches that are set apart, sanctified, and holy in their standing. Their state might be something different. In your position, you're a saint, you're holy, set apart for God. But in your practice, it might be something different. You see? This is the process of sanctification. So the pastor is there to bring you along in Christ's likeness, to build up the body of Christ. And we grow in this grace, but we never reach sinless perfection in this life. There's many other verses I could show you, but back in 1 Thessalonians 4, because we're going to land there, notice that Paul said to the First Thessalonian church, he said to them, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. He said to the church in Corinth, you are sanctified. Now hold on, what's going on there? It's like I said, there's three senses or aspects to sanctification. Past, present, and future. In your past, you were instantly taken out of Adam, put into Christ, set apart for God. You're a saint now. Okay? Progressively, throughout your life right now, what is God doing with you? God's cleaning you up. It's like Jesus says, you just go fishing, you catch them, and I'll clean them up. That's his job, and the Holy Spirit uses the Holy Scriptures to do it. So we grow in this grace, but we will never reach perfection. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, newsflash, you're going to be struggling with sin and with your flesh for the rest of your life. You will be. But over time, you start to see how God has changed you, and how he's changed your life, and it keeps us humble because it reminds us salvation is of the Lord. And it's not my doing. I didn't save myself. I can't save myself. Amen. It's all of the Lord. It's all of grace. Now finally, complete sanctification. That's future. You will be sanctified. You will be complete in every part. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is what Paul was praying for, for the believers in Thessalonica. And this is what we're moving towards, to, towards this perfect goal of being like Jesus Christ. And he said he often prayed for them in this way. Verse 23, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. You know what that means, holy? In every part, in every area of your life, sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body, the three parts of a, of a human, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the rub. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's the thing. Just because, you know, God's not done with me, God's still working on me. Yeah, pray, but you can, you can like work along with him, you know. <laughs> you can work along with him. God's still working on, working on me, you know. I, ain't nobody perfect. 
yeah, but it's like you're not even trying. <laughs> it's like you don't think you have any personal responsibility in this thing. You know what it means? Being a Christian means to deny yourself. Amen. It means cross-bearing, dying to yourself. A person who really wants to be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord is a person who, when Jesus comes back, he's gonna be, they're going to be happy to see him. But somebody who's not going to be happy to see the Lord, they're just kind of just doing whatever they want. They're getting up and walking according to the course of this world, the according to the children of disobedience, and you can be just as saved and do that as anybody is saved. Now here's the deal. The person who wants to be preserved blameless and continues in sanctification is the person who wakes up every day and says, good morning, Jesus. I'm ready for another day. Help me today to put down the flesh, to deny myself, to take up my cross, to follow you. Today I want to walk in the Spirit. I don't want to walk in the flesh. Amen. Help me, Lord Jesus, here I go. You know what that is? That's the intention that today I'm going to do that. And He'll help you. And you'll stumble and you'll make a mess of it and stuff like that, but God's still working on you. You see, that's the difference. But the, 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 the end goal is to be like Christ. It takes place when we're finally completed in our sanctification. It takes place when Christ comes back for, our, for the church. 1 Thessalonians 3. Back to chapter 3. So it's a process throughout this life, but one day Paul's prayer will be answered and you will be blameless before Christ at His coming for the church. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and, in, and abound in love one toward another, toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness where before God, even our Father, when? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. When will you be blameless in practice? In position, you are. You're justified. The, the law cannot condemn you. You could, not, you could not be penalized for your sin, you understand? You can't be punished for your sin if you're saved. So therefore, you're not going to go to hell to be punished for your sin. Christ was punished for your sin. You are justified. That's your position. But in practice, when will you actually be sanctified completely in your practice? When you get to heaven. When Jesus comes back. So it's either at the rapture or you might make it there before we do. But when you get there, look, this is what I'm telling you. Talked about it in Sunday school. You have a soul inside of here. It's your soulish body. It looks just like you. It looks just like your body. Okay? Now, I've often wondered about people who had six toes or six fingers and had to have one amputated. But anyways, it looks just like you. And when you get to heaven, if you go by way of the rapture, when you come up in a moment, in an instant, you'll be changed and you'll have a glorified body and it'll look just like you at 33 years of age. Now, if you want to learn more about why that's so, come to Sunday school. If you die 
and you, you make it to heaven before we do, what's going to happen? Your, your body's going to go in the ground. Your soul is going to go up to appear before the Lord. I think your soul is going to look just like you right now. This is just, this, you're not going to find a book, chapter, and verse on this. I'm just saying this is what I think. I think it's going to look just like you right now. Now, the part about the soul looking just like you, that's not, that's, that's scriptural. Okay, but as far as when you go, like if you were to die today and you were saved, you'd go to heaven, and there you'd be in heaven, and you would look up and see Jesus in a body, the God-man, in his glorified body. You'd be there in your soulish body. Here's the deal. You wouldn't be able to sin. No more sin. Wouldn't that be wonderful to wake up tomorrow and say, I don't have to fight with sin anymore? I can't wait till I wake up in glory and say, I will never do something that makes my Lord ashamed or that grieves the Holy Spirit. I'll never do something again that Jesus had to suffer and die for. I'll never be guilty as, as a traitor against all that is righteous and against my Lord in choosing to side with sin over Jesus Christ. Because that's what happens when we sin. We choose to side with sin rather than with Jesus Christ. So really, is there any sin today that you have to commit? No. You'll commit it if you want to. And when you do that, you're siding with unrighteousness over the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But don't forget what I said in the beginning. The iceberg. We're only aware of 10%. So at the end of the day, it's all glory and honor and grace. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your grace. And uh, thank you for saving a sinner like me. I'm a sinner saved by God's grace. But we don't have any excuse to just say that I'm not going to cooperate with God and what he's wanting to do in my life. You see, but one of these days, brother, sister, we will be perfect. We, one day you'll wake up and you, you won't be sad anymore. One day you'll wake up and you won't deal with anger and aggression one day you'll wake up and you won't feel that gnawing, gnawing, tugging on you from the inside of addiction. One day you'll wake up and you won't be depressed anymore, you know? You won't sin anymore. You won't hurt anymore. You won't get sick anymore. All that stuff will be of the former life, all passed away. Amen. But right now you got the chance. You have the opportunity to glorify the Lord in this whole process of sanctification and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to serve you when it hurts. I'm going to serve you when it's, when it's difficult. I'm going to serve you when people turn away from me and reject me. I know they're not really rejecting me, they're rejecting Jesus Christ, but I'm going to serve you when it's hard. I'm going to serve you when it might cost me something. And I'm going to, I'm going to fight with sin. I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and I'm going to fight with sin while I have a chance to fight with sin. And I'm going to say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing this because I think I've got to do it to get to heaven. I'm doing it for you. And I'm going to fight and resist the sin of my life. Do it while you've got a chance. You see? Do it while you've got a chance to do it for him. I'm going to resist the temptation to be apathetic and be lazy and to be prayerless. Because it's a sin not to pray for your brothers and sisters and to pray for the lost. So I'm, I'm going to resist that and I'm going to do something for you in this life. Take the opportunity because you won't have the opportunity. This is one of those things you can't do in heaven. 
in heaven. Uh, you won't need to be praying anymore for people. You won't need to be witnessing or fighting sin. Now, as I close this out, I think the process of sanctification is something like the springtime ritual of uh, scalping the lawn. You ever do that? Scalp your lawn, cut it down real close the first time there at the beginning of spring, and it gets all the inactive uh, dead stuff off of there, all the tangled up and decaying grass. is all violently removed by the lawnmower. So God uses trials and problems in our lives. Listen, it's a trial that you're struggling against that sin. That's a problem, and it's painful. Sometimes it comes on you because something somebody else did to you. Something, somebody else hurt you, and now it sets you back, and you're starting to lean on your old ways of dealing with it and coping with it. Different things happen. Sometimes it's a sickness. Sometimes it's the death of somebody. Sometimes it's somebody disappointing you. Sometimes it's just <clears throat> getting fired or things not going your way. Sometimes it's this. It's a young person who who gets saved, and then they get into church, and they didn't know it, but when they got saved, they didn't know what was going to happen, but all their friends, so-called friends, drinking buddies, gone. Where are they now? I guess they weren't friends anyways. And you know what it is for a lot of young people getting saved today, especially in like inner city churches? You know what it is? It's constant rejection, loneliness. They get into church all of their social connections, gone. Just like that. I've been through that. I've been through that when I rededicated my life to the Lord. I had friends everywhere. You, you wouldn't think that I would be that social, but I, I was. I, had, I mean, I had more friends than I could count on two hands. I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I said, guys, listen, I'm, I'm a Christian. God's doing something in my life, and he's calling me to, to surrender to him and to follow Jesus Christ. I want you to get saved. And they said, what? <laughs> and they all rejected me. My girlfriend that I had dumped me. You see what I'm saying? And you know what they got to do? Suffer for the Lord. Because that suffering is going to sanctify you. Amen. And then get some friends in church. Get some different friends. Because they weren't really your friends anyways. You see, it calls for suffering. For Stephen, it was a, it was a rock right to his face. And many, many rocks till he was dead. So God has called us to this. Sometimes it's painful. But God has called us to this. Here's, here's your response. Here's my response. In Romans 4 through 8, that's where we find the answers to this. Your response has to be to know these things, to reckon them to be so, to say, God, what you said is true. And then to yield to the Holy Spirit. So every day when you wake up, you say, Holy Spirit, take control. I want to walk in the Spirit today and live for you. Throughout the course of the day, you're presented. You, you will be. You'll be presented. You'll be going along your way. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm following the Lord. And then there'll be a why in the road. Okay? This way is a way that is not honoring to the Lord. And this way is a way that is. And so you say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to lead, I'm not going to yield to the flesh and to the carnal man and to the ways of the world. I want to go your way, so I'm going to yield to you. I don't feel like I can do it. Help me. 
help me yield to you, and you go on that path. It'll come up throughout the day, and from time to time you just have to say, Lord, I, I, con- I commit myself to you once again and to walking in sanctification. And again, holiness is not talking with a funny voice, and it's not expressing your spiritual gifts. Holiness is not the way that you dress, although it can affect that. What holiness is, is just living for the Lord and, and giving your life to Him, giving yourself to Him, and say, just use me. Whatever you want to do with me, use me. Let's go ahead and stand for a word of prayer. At this time, I want to, I want to say to you that a Christian can do all kinds of things that the lost person can do. They can do all kinds of sins. When we do those things, we don't lose our salvation with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. When we do those things, we do not lose our salvation. We can lose rewards. We can disappoint the Lord. We can lose fellowship with God, and and our relationship with God is not as it should be, but you won't lose your salvation. Today, what you might need to do in response to this is say, Lord, I want to commit my life to you again. And this is what I'd say, go home. Get into a room by yourself, nobody in there. Get all alone so you can cry out to the Lord and you just spend some time in confession and cleansing. And just say, Lord, I did this and I knew it was wrong and I did it anyways. I thought this. I've left these things undone. There's things I should have done and I haven't done. I confess that all to you and you'll find cleansing. Confession and cleansing, 1 John 1, 9. You can get it right. And then say, Lord, I want to I want to walk with you every day. I want to enjoy days and and weeks of fellowship with you, unbroken, unhindered by willful sinning. It is possible. Lord, I I, I thank you for this message today, for these that are here and heard it. Lord, if there's one here today that's not really saved and um, they realize it, You've put your finger on them. If there's somebody in here like that, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And for us who are saved, we're saints, we are sanctified, and we're moving along in this process for you. God, I know how you look down on us in pity. You look down on us as your children. You remember our frame, that we're just dust, that we're just men and women and boys and girls who are fallen creatures redeemed by the grace of God, just sinners saved by grace. I know that you look down on us in pity and love. I pray that you would endue us and empower us with the Holy Spirit, continue to work in our lives and to change us. Lord, help us not to live under the guilt of the past.